Book 10, Part 2, Chapter 2 of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mason Lewis. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick MacLear. Book 10, Part 2, Chapter 2. Wars of Ahab and Ben-Hadad. 1 Kings 20. B.C. 901. Of the three commands thus laid upon him, Elijah straightway proceeded to execute the last. From Horeb he journeyed to Abel-Meholah, the meadow of the dance, in the northern part of the Jordan Valley. Here he met Elisha, the son of Shaphat, apparently a man of substance, plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. Casting his well-known mantle upon him, the prophet, by this symbolic action, claimed him as his son, and called him to follow him. Lingering only to bid farewell to his father and mother, and to celebrate a parting feast with his people, Elisha arose and hurried after the great prophet, and became henceforth his constant attendant. Meanwhile, Ahab, while he retained Samaria as the capital of his kingdom, adorned with a palace and park the beautiful city of Jezreel, in the Esdraelon plain. But ere long this and other instances of his passion for splendid architecture received a rude check. At the head of a large army, and aided by thirty-two vassal kings, Ben-Hadad II, king of Syria, laid siege to Samaria. While this was in progress, with true oriental haughtiness, he made a formal demand of all the silver and gold, the wives and children, belonging to his enemy. Hoping to disarm hostility, the servile Ahab replied by a promise of faithful vassalage to the lord of Syria. But Ben-Hadad, emboldened by this weak compliance, sent ambassadors with the announcement that on the following day he should enforce his demand by an actual search of Ahab's palace. Even the king of Israel was stung to the quick by this insulting message, and summoning all the elders of his kingdom, he laid the matter before them. It was resolved to defend Samaria at all risks, and Ben-Hadad was informed that his demand could not be entertained. On receiving this reply, the king of Syria sent another message to declare his intention of laying Samaria level with the ground. Tell him, rejoined Ahab, let not him that girdeth on his armor boast himself as he that putteth it off. A spirited reply, which filled Ben-Hadad with rage, and he ordered preparations to be made for an instant assault. At this juncture, a prophet stood forth and assured Ahab of a complete victory over the vast host of his enemy, which should be achieved by a mere handful of men. In accordance with his suggestion, the king thereupon numbered the 232 attendants on the princes of the provinces, and prepared to send them against the Syrian camp, while 7,000 of the regular troops followed behind. The little band left the gates of Samaria and proceeded towards the pavilions, or rather the tents and booths of branches, boughs, and brushwood, which were erected for the Syrian chiefs in the camp, as they are still erected for the Turkish pashas and agas in their expeditions. Though it was only high noon, Ben-Hadad, with his vassal chiefs, was carousing over his wine cups. But he no sooner heard of the approach of the little band from the city, than with drunken insolence he ordered that they should be taken alive, whether they came for peace or war. The force, however, sent to execute this order, found it no easy one, for the 232 princes of the provinces offered a strenuous resistance, and struck down all who opposed them. This, and the sight of the seven thousand following behind, filled the Syrian host with a sudden panic, and they fled precipitately, headed by Ben-Hadad himself on a fleet horse, 
and pursued by the victorious Israelites, who inflicted upon them a great slaughter. 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 1-22 through 22. Thus Samaria was delivered. But the same prophet who had predicted the victory now warned Ahab to be on his guard. For with the return of spring the enemy would renew the invasion, which duly came to pass. Annoyed at their late humbling defeat, the Syrians had concluded that it was owing to the fact that they had attacked in a hilly region a people whose gods were gods of the hills. They now resolved to fight in a more level region, and in place of the vassal kings, who probably had been the first to fly in the late battle, they had substituted captains and mustered an army as large as the last. Accordingly, at the season named by the prophet, they advanced with a vast host to Aphek, a town in the level country east of the Jordan, on the military road from Syria to Israel. Hither the army of Ahab went forth to meet them, and encamped, appearing like two little flocks of kids, in comparison of their formidable foes who filled the country round. But again a prophet appeared to encourage Ahab, and assure him of a second victory. The Syrians had imagined Jehovah to be merely a god of the hills. They should know that he was a god also of the valleys. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28 For seven days the two armies confronted one another, and then the battle was joined. The Syrians were utterly routed and fled in confusion to Aphek, resolved there to make a stand. But the wall of the town, in consequence probably of a sudden earthquake, fell with a terrible crash and buried upwards of 27,000 in the ruins. Ben-Hadad himself, with his immediate attendants, escaped, and was advised by them to throw himself on the mercy of the conqueror. They proposed to go forth with sackcloth on their loins and ropes on their heads and plead for their lives. Mounted in his chariot, Ahab received the envoys, inquired after the welfare of his late dreaded enemy, and called him his brother. The word brother revived the courage of the Syrian ambassadors, and they were presently bidden to return and usher their master into Ahab's presence. Ben-Hadad came and was invited to take his place in the chariot by the side of his conqueror. Grateful for this unexpected clemency, he promised to restore to the king of Israel all the towns his father had taken from the Israelites, and to permit his subjects to have a quarter in the Syrian capital, similar to that which Ben-Hadad's father had obtained in Samaria. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 34. This impolitic clemency to an unrelenting national foe was sternly rebuked by one of the sons of the prophets. Having caused himself to be wounded and disguised with a headband, he awaited Ahab's coming along the road, and said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the late battle, and behold, a man turned aside, and brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man, if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Instantly Ahab decided the matter, and pronounced that he must bear the penalty. On this the headband was removed, and the king perceived not only that the speaker was a scholar of the prophets, but understood also the true meaning of his parable. Because he had spared a man, whom Jehovah had devoted to utter destruction, the punishment should fall upon him and his people, which he had failed to execute on Ben-Hadad. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 35-43 through 43. End of Book 10, Part 2, Chapter 2